You're listening to Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Welcome to Mission Matters Live, a program focused on promoting a spirit of mission among the people of God in the Archdiocese of Chicago. My name is Megan Neo, and I am the director of the Global Mission Office here in the Archdiocese, and our engineers this morning are Mike and Brian. You are listening to WNDZ 750 AM, and you will hear Mission Matters on the second Wednesday of the month at 8 AM Central. This month, we are following the news of Pope Francis, who recently returned from a pastoral visit, an ecumenical peace pilgrimage, to the Democratic Republic of Congo on uh, January 31st through February 3rd, and his peace pilgrimage was with South Sudan from February 3rd to the 5th. In an effort to understand the significance of this event, I have asked Sister Joan Muma, who is the founder and who has recently stepped aside as president and chief executive officer of Friends in Solidarity. This is an initiative of U.S. Catholic religious men and women in support of religious working in South Sudan and beyond. She is a vowed member of the Sisters Servants of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, from Monroe, Michigan, and she's a deeply committed missionary. I've asked her here to help us understand the situation in South Sudan and to unpack, again, unpack the significance, the impact of the Pope's uh, pastoral and ecumenical visit. So good morning, Sister Joan. Thank you and welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here to participate in this uh, radio program. And I think we're speaking to the expert here <laughs> on South Sudan. You've got the map behind you if, if you're able to view us. Um, she's ready. Uh, and I'm sure you've been paying close attention to what the Pope's been doing this, this past week. Yes, and I've been very moved by what I've experienced, even though it's been online. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing, the media coverage. Um, but yeah, yeah, fortunately, we can we have access to these things online. So wonderful. So I'd like us to just begin by getting to know you and, of course, your missionary experience in Africa and South Sudan particularly. So please tell us uh, about your missionary background. Where have you been sent? Well, I started out in Detroit. Uh, I'm trained as a teacher and uh, taught in Catholic elementary schools for a very short amount of time. And then in 1975, after completing a master's degree in cultural anthropology, I was asked to go to Uganda to teach in the major seminary. The rector believed that the seminarians who had been in the seminary since high school needed to be put back in touch with their own culture. And so uh, I was privileged to have that experience. So I spent six years in Uganda at the time of Idi Amin, when he was in power, which was a challenging time for the country. And I learned everything that I didn't know (laughs) and all that I came to know from the people of um, of Uganda. So it was a very privileged time for me. So. Following upon that, I returned uh, to my community where I spent uh, six years in leadership at the um, national level, and then uh, six years as provincial of our overseas missions. And that was a wonderful experience to see the sisters um, that I knew uh, working uh, primarily uh, either in pastoral work in Latin America or in... um, uh, training of teachers and seminarians in Africa. So altogether, I think there are about six or seven countries like Puerto Rico, Honduras, Brazil, Mexico, Nicaragua, wow. Uganda, Ghana, Kenya, South Africa, Zimbabwe. I mean, 
what a gift. Long list. And you got to go to, and, and see these places and um, visit people. Touch into those cultures. Yeah. So um, I returned uh, to South Africa for 10 years in 1996. Okay. Came home in 2012 and or in 20, 2006, was uh, in leadership again for six years, mm-hmm. and then got engaged with Solidarity with South Sudan. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've spent the past 10 years um, working by at their request from the U.S. to support the work of religious in South Sudan. Yeah, yeah. So you're. we've kind of mentioned two kind of partner organizations here and they have very similar names <laughs> so I'm going to just say them state them very clearly so you are the founder of Friends in Solidarity which is the US based uh, organization and then there's Solidarity with South Sudan which is the organization based in in South Sudan that um, kind of coordinates and organizes support for the religious work the work of religious there correct 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 so yeah tell I can us- tell you a little bit more about it, I'll start with Solidarity with South Sudan because that's that came first. the organization from which Friends and Solidarity was birthed, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so to speak. Okay. So Solidarity with South Sudan was founded in 2006 in response to a request from the bishops of Sudan. It was at a time when the southern part of Sudan, which was the largest country in Africa, uh, was about to uh, either become autonomous or independent. Hmm. And so there were great needs in the country because they had been through 60 years of civil war. And so in response to the request of the bishops, um, the international unions of superiors general, both the men and the women, sent a delegation to South Sudan Hmm. to assess the needs and to meet with the bishops and decide what we could do. And so upon uh, return, um, they noted that the request was to uh, train teachers, to uh, train nurses, midwives, uh, and pastoral workers. Later on, agriculture was added to this. Uh, I think those are, at least from my experience in this country, those are strengths of religious congregations. And so the decision was to build the capacity of South Sudanese to assume responsibility for these at a later date when they were able, well trained. Mm-hmm. It was never a goal to go there and to establish a mission, so to speak. Oh, okay. Okay. So as a result, the decision was made in, I think, May of 2006 to send people and over 200 religious congregations from around the world, men and women, um, came together and furnished personnel, um, resources, and, and a lot of prayer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, initially, the De La Salle Christian Brothers uh, said they would um, focus their efforts and kind of spearhead initiatives in education. And the Kamboni sisters, who were longtime missionaries in South in Sudan and South Sudan, mm-hmm. um, agreed to take on health care. Mm-hmm. And the first team of men and women religious from different countries, different congregations, uh, went to South Sudan in 2009 and began with teacher training. Mm-hmm. And eventually, by 2012 or so, they had built two teacher training colleges rehabilitated the Catholic Health Training um, uh, Institute in WOW and uh, begun to do some pastoral training, but primarily they started with teacher training and then healthcare training. So uh, I, I think the model of ministry is what attracted me and I think it's so important is for the maybe the first time you had Priest brothers and sisters from different congregations, different countries, different cultures coming together, mm-hmm. living together, working together, praying together to meet the needs of this, the poorest country in Africa. A crisis. So uh, right. it's exciting yeah. to begin with. Yeah, I mean, and, and really, uh, truly missionaries, you know, realizing there was this great need, there was this, and, and an openness and a desire asking, please send us, you know. 
people who can help us. Um, and, and you were talking about um, the training of these teachers and, and medical workers, etc. Can you just say a little bit more? I, I saw on the website this language of capacity building um, about what that would mean. Right. And, and that's what um, I think is significant is that the desire is to build the capacity of the South Sudanese to the point where they can assume responsibility, mm-hmm. both as tutors and as uh, administrators of these particular institutions, which have been built by Solidarity with South Sudan mm-hmm. and uh, with the support of uh, uh, religious congregations and organizations, mostly Catholic agencies from around the world. So, um, I think uh, it was attractive to to many people. So on average, we probably have 20 to 25 religious, I think currently coming from 17 different congregations and 20 um, different countries. And uh, Mm -hmm. the model of coming together across cultures is not lost on the students um, whom we teach. so that's what we mean by capacity building. And then uh, maybe a little bit about friends and solidarity. Um, I was attracted to solidarity with South Sudan and uh, had permission to go and be in South Sudan in 2013. Um, after a short amount of time, about four months that I was there, I was asked to return to the US and to initially be the U.S. Regional Development Director for Solidarity. But the goal was that we would start a not-for-profit in this country. And so by the end of 2015, in fact, um, we uh, had established a not-for-profit to raise both awareness and also to raise funding to support the work that was being done in South Sudan. So uh, I gulped and uh, said, okay, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do. But I had done 10 years of development work in South Africa because at the end of uh, par- apartheid in South Africa, the European Union, which had funded much of the work of NGOs, now needed to give um, money to the bi- bilaterally to the um, Mandela government. And so there was a need then at the Catholic Institute of Education where I was working to establish a development office. So I am the new kid on the block, so to speak. And uh, I was given that task. So um, I learned a lot from that experience that I could bring to this experience uh, of um, friends and solidarity. So our major supporters are religious congregations, primarily women and some of the men. Our board is made up of religious who are interested or in some cases have spent time in South Sudan. Mm -hmm. And we have uh, the corporation sponsors who are major superiors of religious congregations. So uh, the religious are well involved in, you know, this effort. Mm -hmm. And uh, and maybe in this country, it's a kind of a new model too, that you have religious congregations from different um, congregations coming together to do this work. Yeah, different. Cares. And we also yeah. got a lot of support in the beginning from Bon Secure Mercy Health System, hmm. uh, helping us to set up the uh, organization. And they have continued to support our work with the Catholic Health Training Institute. Nice. So we have a lot of committed individuals who are aware of this ministry. And since 2016, we have sent, been able to transfer over. $2,750,000 to South uh, to support the work of solidarity in South Sudan. Wow. We've also been able to initiate a legacy fund in June of this year, which will be used eventually mm. to support the work of South Sudanese once they assume responsibility for these institutions. Right. Uh, and That's the goal. later on, I'll tell you a little bit about South Sudan, but yeah. you'll know there's no way they would have the funding to support the work that's being done on their and own. supported by yeah. congregations uh, outside of South Sudan. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? I have a lot more questions for you, but it is time for our first break. 
Um, and so thank you very much, Sister Joan. We'll be back to continue our conversation in just a moment about solidarity with South Sudan. Stay tuned. Charities invites you to First Look for Charity, an extraordinary black tie evening at McCormick Place on Friday, February 10th. Enjoy an elegant private reception and be among the first to explore the latest in automotive innovation at the Chicago Auto Show. Your ticket also gives you the chance to win either a 2023 Honda CRV or a 2023 Subaru Crosstech. As you register, please select Catholic Charities so a portion of your ticket purchase benefits those we serve. Join us at First Look for Charity on Friday, February 10th. Visit catholiccharities.net to get your tickets today. People always say, how can you spend your day with three-year-olds? Seeing the changes that they go through and just the journey and how they grow, this is a very rewarding job. Even though at the end of the day, we're not the highest paid people on earth. And when I have a parent contact me and say, my child loves school, that to me, I'm setting that foundation for their love of learning. Because really you are changing lives. You are molding lives. Shape the next generation of leaders. Teach. Apply today at artchicago.org slash school jobs. Catholic Charities Family Self-Sufficiency Program has assisted thousands of single parents who are working to become more self-sufficient through education and employment opportunities. Our experienced case managers accompany participants for up to five years on their journey to identify, address, and break down barriers to improving their quality of life and achieving meaningful goals for themselves and for their families. Professional, compassionate assistance is offered in a safe and trusting environment as participants develop the skills needed to become financially stable and able to support themselves. Every achievement starts with the decision to try. To learn more about Catholic Charities Family Self-Sufficiency Program, call 847-782-4233 or visit catholiccharities.net. Matters Live. I am Megan Mio, the Director of the Global Mission Office, and I'm here with Sister Joan Muma, founder of Friends in Solidarity, which is an initiative of U.S. Catholic religious men and women who support religious working in South Sudan and beyond. And now, just before the break, we were learning a little bit more about Friends in Solidarity, and there were two pieces of information I want to make sure that uh, we don't run... Don't forget to say, um, as we transition into the next uh, topics, too. One is, I mentioned that you recently stepped away from the role of uh, president and CEO of Friends in Solidarity. And the new uh, president is Sister of Precious Blood, Mumbi Kigutha, correct? Correct, yes. And um, Mumbi is well known in, in Chicago. She graduated from Catholic Theological uh, Union. And she will assume um, responsibility for this role uh, in March uh, when she returns from uh, South Sudan. She's there now to spend uh, the whole month of February getting to know um, solidarity and uh, the work that we support there. So right now she's at the Solidarity Teacher Training College and has a full program to orient her to that ministry. She's getting her feet wet. 
<laughs> yeah, great. great. So she's just, just on the precipice where this transition is happening as we speak. The other thing is we've been seeing, for those of you who are uh, with us on YouTube, we've been seeing the um, Friends in Solidarity website, which is solidarityfriends.org. And uh, I just want to mention, because we're going to have a lot of other things to discuss for the rest of this show about Pope Francis's visit and everything. But for those of you who want to learn more about South Sudan or learn more about what the church is doing, what our religious men and women, many different congregations are doing, check out this website. Um, it has uh, beautiful resources, prayers, videos, news pieces, lots of great information. So I, I highly recommend going to solidarityfriends.org. And I'm sure Sister Joan would recommend it too. Yes, um, definitely. Excellent. So now before the break, we were talking about the work of Solidarity with South Sudan, um, who uh, Friends and Solidarity supports, um, which is raising up new leaders, um, pastoral workers, professionals in South Sudan. And now I'd like us to talk about South Sudan itself, which, uh, and it's of course it's people, um, which people may know South Sudan is the world's youngest nation, was founded in 2011, um, broke off from the larger nation or separated from the larger nation of Sudan and uh, unfortunately has suffered, unfortunately right after its founding, has continued to suffer political and ethnic divisions and violence. So I want to hear from, from you, Sister Joan. Give us a little mini lesson in the history and, and what's the context? What are things like in South Sudan right now? Well, South Sudan uh, is a country of a, about 11 million. The statistics are hard to come by because of lack of institutional um, development, so to speak. Right. Most of them are young, probably 75% are, would be considered young. Hmm. And um, it became, as you, as you said, independent in 2011 after about 60 years of civil war. Uh, Sudan itself became independent from Egypt and Britain hmm. in 1956. Mm -hmm. And all of the focus of government institutions were in the north, which was Arab and Muslim, mm. and the south uh, furnished the slaves to work in the north, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, but the south was primarily Christian. Mm. Uh, the Kamboni missionaries were uh, long involved in Sudan. Uh, so it's primarily Christian, over half Christian, and then uh, African traditional religion and a few uh, people from uh, Arab culture and Arab language. The problem was that um, the North uh, wanted to impose Arabization and Islamization on the South. Mm -hmm. And that did not go over well with people in the South. Right. Uh, the South has 60 different tribes, they're African tribes, more akin to what has developed in Kenya and Uganda and the Congo. Mm -hmm. And uh, 60 different tribes with 60 different languages. Wow. So uh, from 1956 until 1972, war broke out. And then there was a peace agreement signed in 1972. The role of the churches was very important in that. And I will get to that later. Then another civil war broke out in 1983, which wasn't concluded until 2005. And there it took the nations around South Sudan, uh, the southern part of South Sudan, of Sudan, and the international community together with the churches to broker a peace agreement. Mm. Uh, in, to, uh, in 2005, a peace agreement called the Comprehensive Peace Agreement was signed. Mm -hmm. And in that peace agreement, it was agreed that the South, the Southern tribes could determine their future. Mm -hmm. Did they want to be autonomous, right. an autonomous region, or did they want to be independent? In 2000, in, um, it would have been 2011, beginning of 2011, they voted to uh, become independent, probably 99% of the people. Mm -hmm. Now, that is fine, except that this is an area of the of Sudan that had no physical infrastructure, no 
institutional infrastructure and um, no sense of being uh, South Sudanese. Yeah, a unity. So that has been a, a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, but at least they were going to fight against Sharia law mm -hmm. and right. the imposition of uh, having to learn in Arabic. Yeah. So it's interesting that most of the students that come to us have learned and studied and graduated from secondary school in what they call Arabic pattern. Arabic language. So they've had to learn English wow. to come and be in the South. English is the chosen uh, language for education and for all governance in South Sudan. Okay. Uh, in a short time after independence in 2013, civil war broke out among the tribes in the South, hmm. primarily between the Dinka and the New Era. The president, Salvakir, is a Dinka. Mm -hmm. And the vice president, Riek Mashar, was a new heir. Mm -hmm. And then the other tribes kind of sided one side or the other with those particular tribes or tried to just stay out of it, you know, not wanting to be involved in the Civil War. Yeah. Um, since that time, 400,000 people have died and 4 million are displaced with about 2 million internally displaced in IDP camps and another two million or more in refugee camps outside the country. Right. Uh, prior to 2005, that's where you have uh, the lost boys of South Sudan or Sudan hmm. moving out of the country into camps and then many of them being given um, asylum and eventually citizenship here in this country. Right, right. Uh, mm -hmm. The, uh, in... Um, 2013, uh, by 2018, there were several um, countries and the churches that tried to broker peace so that um, we could uh, continue to grow as a country. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been difficult. So in 2018, there was uh, a breakdown again at which time I think uh, Riek Mashar, the vice president, had to flee the country. And so by 2020, they had agreed to uh, reanimate uh, re the, the peace agreement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, we can talk a little bit about that because um, that's part of why um, the churches got so involved in and it's linked to the Pope's uh, visit yeah. recently. So now, I would say one thing I want to comment on, and, and we just have a few minutes left in this segment to just give you an idea of how much, because we are going to definitely in the next segment talk about the Pope's visit itself and what led to it, but is that you mentioned, of course, South Sudan is primarily Christian, a variety of Christian denominations, different churches are represented, but they're working together to try to bring about peace, right? There's right. a history Correct. of that. And that's been really since uh, probably 60 years mm -hmm. because the Christian churches realized that if they were going to survive against the Arabization and Islamic policies of the North, yeah. they had to come together. Yeah. And so yeah. it was kind of uh, uh, through the foresight of uh, one survive. of the archbishops, Catholic archbishops and, um, and a bishop from the Anglican uh, tradition, Coming together, uh, which basically started the ecumenical movement in South Sudan, and and in this, first of all, in the whole country of Sudan, but then eventually became the South Sudanese South Sudan Council of Churches. So, um, yeah. yes, um, very significant role for the churches. Yeah, yeah. I know. I read in in doing preparation for this interview that that the people of South Sudan trust the religious leaders more than their political leaders because. They've exactly. been more consistent <laughs> with yeah. that message well, and, and that work. In some ways, uh, they um, have functioned as governance at times when there was no government. It reminds me, you know, the church has a kind of a hierarchical structure like this, mm -hmm. but so does the government when you, you know, have tribal leaders. Yeah. And so the church fills a vacuum at times Can, yeah. when okay. government is not functioning. Certainly that's true with um, South Sudan. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
Well, you know what? It is time for our break. Um, but Already. We, can you believe how quickly <laughs> the time flies? There's too much to discuss. We can't get in all the details, unfortunately. But but we are poised to talk about uh, the Pope's visit and Pope's involvement in South Sudan um, in our next segment. So stay tuned. We're going to talk about that ecumenical and pastoral visit of Pope Francis. Don't go away. Adults make all the difference in the lives of adolescents. Catholic Charities understands this, and our mentorship programs provide a free opportunity for young adults to spend time with volunteers who genuinely care about them. This program is ideal for youth aged 9 through 12 who may need support navigating the challenges of childhood and early adolescence. Our amazing volunteers service friends who help youth recognize their strengths and empower them to reach their full potential. Catholic Charities conducts a thorough background check on every volunteer, and our program coordinator closely monitors and supports every relationship. Mentoring is a fun after-school program that can help young adults build confidence and enjoy fun activities with their peers, too. To learn more, visit catholiccharities.net or call 312-655-7970 in Cook County and 847 847- 782-4224 in Lake County. We're connecting youth with great role models. Join us today. The Cemetery Ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 44 Archdiocese of Chicago Catholic cemeteries willing to help you in your time of loss. Call 708-449-6100 or visit catholiccemeterychicago.org. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837. I am a seminarian. The church needs compassionate and well-trained priests to help guide each of us through life. What inspires me, what draws me always to the priesthood is continue to see priests be a beacon of hope for other people. You can play a part in the education of these young men as they prepare for a life of service to others. I want to be that beacon of hope too, and it, it sets my heart on fire. To support our seminarians, make your gift at archchicago.org slash seminarian fund or call 312-534-7959. You're listening to Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago. Matters Live. I am Megan Neo, Director of the Global Mission Office in the Archdiocese of Chicago, and you're lo- listening to WNDZ 750 AM. I'm here with Sister Joan Muma, founder of Friends in Solidarity, which supports the work of Solidarity with South Sudan, supporting the work of religious 
uh, who are raising up new leaders uh, and hopefully new institution structures in South Sudan. We've been talking about the reality in South Sudan, very complex, uh, very difficult history and present. Um, it is the world's youngest nation, we mentioned, um, and they have suffered political and ethnic violence um, since even before it was founded. And we mentioned, too, um, the reality of refugees and internally displaced persons. Um, so they're forced to leave their homes. They may still be in their home country, but they're not in their home. Um, and, and those who've even left the country, too, in refugee camps. So that's a, just a reality uh, in this part of the world. But we also mentioned the sign of hope, which is the ecumenical Christian work that has been working toward peace and reconciliation in South Sudan. And a big player in all that has been Pope Francis. Um, and so one thing I wanted to, all of this is leading up to our discussion of Pope Francis's visit, um, his ecumenical pilgrimage of peace um, that took place earlier this month, uh, February 3rd to the 5th. Um, but there were some, some events that happened even before this visit, and I hoped we could talk about that too, Sister Joan. So can you tell us about what led up to this pastoral visit to South Sudan with Pope Francis? Well, the immediate impetus was a uh, decision made at a retreat initiated by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, and was held at the Vatican in April of 2019. Mm -hmm. um, it was a retreat for the leaders of South Sudan, and it was intended to motivate the leaders to re, uh, resume uh, implementation of the peace agreement, which was signed in 2018. Mm -hmm. At the end of the retreat, as the leaders were departing, in a spontaneous gesture of peacemaking, Pope Francis knelt down and kissed the feet of the leaders. Of course, they were shocked at this dramatic gesture. Mm -hmm. I mean, the aging pontiff struggling just to walk engages in this plea for peace. Mm -hmm. At this meeting, in this retreat, which was about two or three days of kind of dialogue back and forth between um, the Pope, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and the um, moderator of the Church of Scotland, mm -hmm. moderator of the General Assembly, mm -hmm. Church of Scotland. Mm -hmm. uh, not the current one, but the uh, earlier one. At the time, yeah. And um, they decided at that particular point in time that they would make a pilgrimage of peace to South um, Sudan. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it couldn't take place right away because there was so much ethnic conflict. And then, of course, when it was scheduled for July 2022, um, the Pope himself had health issues, including, uh, as he would say, a bum knee. Uh, as you as you noticed, if you've seen any of the the um, videos, yeah. uh, he was in a wheelchair most of the time, but it didn't seem to stop him. Mm -hmm. Right. So they began. He began with his. Um, trip to Africa in the Congo, which is also facing many conflict issues, and in fact, couldn't even go to the eastern part of the country because of conflict. And he was joined by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Wabi, and Ian Greenshields from the Church of Scotland, which in South Sudan, and I think around most of the world is considered Presbyterian Church. Um, on a uh, uh, Jan, uh, February 3rd in Juba. Uh, it was to be an ecumenical pilgrimage of peace to the people of South Sudan, and all but one event were attended by all three. And the messages were extremely strong. Talk about um, talking truth to power, encouraging the leaders to implement the peace agreement and for the people to um, drop uh, their issues uh, around revenge mm -hmm. and to seek forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the first stop on the pilgrimage was to the state house to visit the leaders mm -hmm. and uh, the diplomatic um, representatives. And uh, it was a very strong, each of the leaders spoke and they were very strong yeah. in their um, desire to 
uh, encourage peace in the country. And then in the morning on the next day on Saturday, the Pope met with the clergy, religious and lay leaders. And uh, the other uh, leaders also met with their respective um, leadership. And then in the afternoon of that day, they met with uh, 2,000 displaced persons representing the 4 million in the country uh, to talk about uh, what it means to be a refugee. And they listened to the refugees. And um, one solidarity staff member, Father uh, Mike Bassano, who is up in the camp in Malacca, was actually able to present some of the refugees to the Pope. Uh, in the early evening, then, there was a very powerful ecumenical prayer service held at the what, John Garang Memorial. Now, John Garang was a leader um, uh, of the military, the Solidarity um, uh, Peace, um, well, yeah, the Solidarity uh, Army uh, for the South. Uh, and he, however died before independence and so he's venerated as like kind of the father of the nation sure. um there were fifty thousand people at this um memorial service and uh ecumenical uh, prayer service uh, all seated it was so well organized i think the south sudanese themselves are just amazed that they're they could have this kind of an organ organizational presence in the country. And um, yeah, yeah. it was a, a very powerful thing. Uh, and they all spoke not only to the need for peace with justice, but also to the status of women mm -hmm. in the country and the need to stop the abuse and stop the raping of women. Mm -hmm. And their message was really a message of hope for the people who were filled with great joy at just having these leaders present to them. Yeah. And then um, in the following morning, um, there was a mass led by Pope Francis, but the others were there, the Archbishop of Canterbury and uh, the head of the Church of Scotland. Mm -hmm. The readings, readings were perfect for the day, mm -hmm. a perfect conclusion to the pilgrimage. Themes of love one another, the call to be salt and light, mm -hmm. and humility in the service of God. And when you see how humble the Pope is, yeah. uh, he was living out of those, those readings. Yeah. He thanked the people for their generosity, for their hospitality, their joyous response. Mm -hmm. And then all of the leaders flew back to Rome on the same plane where they uh, allowed the press to interview them. So uh, it was a real sense of togetherness. And I think what's important is this has never happened in 500 years. So since the Reformation, there has not been this kind of coming together yeah. in a global uh, sense mm -hmm. of, um, and maybe it's symbolic that it's in the poorest country in the world that it happens. Right. Well, that we, that we all agree when it comes to peace, you know, and, um, and that we all recognize, too, I, I just want to comment on, like you said, the presence and the people being so joyful of having these three leaders there, um, that, that they came to see the people, you know, didn't just talk about them, didn't just read about them, didn't just hear from the leaders. They went to be there, even for a brief time, but to be there with the people is, is touching, is, is moving, and, and to hear from those on the peripheries even in a place right. that is the peripheries itself, those who have been yeah. displaced um, is. There were 70,000 people at the mass on Sunday morning, 70,000. Wow. And wow. if you want a sense of what it was like, the Vatican News site did a marvelous job of coverage, as well as the National Catholic Reporter, EWTN, and its affiliate, mm -hmm. they have uh, support a uh station or um, a network out of Nairobi called ACI. Okay. And then um, the register, the tablet, the crooks, all of those covered it well. It's not, um, not so prominent here in the U.S., but um, the yeah. videos are powerful. Yeah, take a look at those, folks. And that's the Facebook page for Friends in Solidarity we're looking at now. 
Well, if you can believe it, it's time for our last break. (laughs) But we'll be back to conclude our discussion. We're going to talk a little bit more about what all this means for Pope Francis in South Sudan. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. core to Catholic Charities' founding mission. For more than 100 years, we have met people and families where they are, serving anyone in need, regardless of their faith, gender, race, or ethnicity. As our world absorbs the economic, political, and social aftershocks of the pandemic, 50% or more of the 6 million people living in Cook and Lake counties have little or no savings. They are a paycheck away from zero. We are deeply grateful to everyone in the Catholic Charities community who partners with us to alleviate the suffering of the people we serve and offer them a better path forward. We are witnessing a message of mercy and hope to a world very much in need. Learn more at catholiccharities.net. Welcome back. Es fabuloso verlos. Dobrze jest znowu być razem. It's good to be together again. After so many months apart, pandemic capacity limits have been lifted, and we want to welcome everyone back to church. We can all pray together again. And listen as our choirs lift their voices in song. We've been together in spirit. And now when you are ready, our doors are open wide. Nuestras puertas están abiertas de par en par. Nasze drzwi są otwarte. And we're here to welcome you back to Catholic Mass. For more than 20 years, Catholic Charities Adult Protective Services has been advocating for seniors who are the victims of abuse, neglect, confinement, or financial exploitation. With our partners at local, city, and state agencies, our trained case managers follow through on every concern that is brought to our attention in a cooperative way to ensure that our seniors are safe and protected. According to the Illinois Department on Aging, last year nearly 21,000 cases of elder abuse were reported in Illinois. Of these, only 5% were reported by seniors themselves. So raising awareness is an important part of this issue. If you are concerned about a senior you know, call 800-252-8966. That's 800-252-8966. With your help, we can stop elder abuse and look out for the seniors in our lives. Welcome back to Mission Matters Live. I am Megan Mio, Director of the Global Mission Office, and I'm here with Sister Joan Muma, founder of Friends in Solidarity uh, with South Sudan. We've been talking about Pope Francis's recent pastoral visit to South Sudan at uh, the beginning of February, and he made that uh, as a pastoral and ecumenical visit. We were just talking with the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Presbyterian moderator. Um, Really, you know, generally, ostensibly on a mission for peace Um, and uh, and solidarity um, in in terms of what we were saying just at the end of the last segment, being with the people. Um, But, you know, it, you know, there are many, many forms of impact, I'm sure, that his visit has had. and some of them we may not see for some time, but um, I just wanted to comment too on what you shared about his um, meeting, his um, 
retreat, spiritual retreat that was held in 2019 um, that led up to this this visit. As you know, we don't think of the Pope, I mean, in the modern sense, getting involved in politics, let's say. Um, mm-hmm. But this is really a case where he and these other religious leaders can have a real impact. Uh, and specifically given the, the, the situation in South Sudan, I'm sure, and that it, there is an ecumenical movement already in place. But um, but this is a pretty big deal. You said this is unprecedented. There's never been a case of this ecumenical um, type of work. But but two, this this real work toward uh, political solutions. Um, but I'd like to hear from you, Sister Joan. What what kinds of thoughts do you have about the impact of this visit? Uh, we, as you say, we won't know the impact, uh, but uh, at, at least uh, immediately. Uh, a couple of things have happened, however. Already, uh, the president has released about 70 prisoners, half of them um, on death row. Many of them probably are journalists. And uh, he's agreed that the government will re-enter the peace process started by the San Judeo community. Now, that's a community in Rome of lay people who have been successful in brokering peace uh, uh, around uh, many countries in Africa. I know they were, I think, involved with uh, Mozambique or Madagascar, one of those other places. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are two immediate things that we have seen and actually happened prior to the visit of the Pope. Okay. Um, the churches um, in South Sudan um, have had a phenomenal role to play among the people and in brokering peace. Um, when the government wasn't able to do things, I mean, this is stepping up and, and uh, honoring the rights of people, trying to broker peace at the local level. And um, I think uh, it's it's significant because if it reinvigorates the peace process and leads towards um, elections in a couple of years and um, justice, yeah. you know, uh, a, a court, um, a, what they're looking at, a hybrid court to try people who have uh, committed terrible um, injustices against people. So uh, if that can happen because of this visit, then it's all worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, even before uh, the day of the um, pilgrimage, 27 people died in uh, revenge killing. Mm-hmm. So if they can motivate the people to set aside their differences and um, to um, uh, try to work for peace, then that that's good to forgive one another. So besides that, I think um, the very presence of these three leaders together brought such joy to people who suffer mm-hmm. and restored hope in a sense of that they're not yeah. forgotten. Yeah. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with this latest thing with the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, which is very serious, but it's like that is the issue. So for maybe two days, <laughs> South Sudan had a little bit of extra publicity, but it's one of those places that's kind of lost. Mm-hmm. Um, people don't even know where it where it is. And so when I give talks, I have to bring a map, you know, mm-hmm. to show them where it is. So um, the, the people are resilient. They have a deep faith. They do need to develop a, a sense of uh, what it means to be South Sudanese and not just tribal people. And I think Solidarity with South Sudan is helping that because the students on campus come from different tribes and they live and work together for two years, three years. They learn to respect Mm -hmm. each other Mm -hmm. and to appreciate the cultures of different people. And we have culture weeks where they bring their food and they uh, share their dance and their music. And um, all of that helps to build a sense of what it means to be South Sudanese and not just uh, from an ethnic group. So um, I think if um, that can happen and we take care of some of the basic needs like education, healthcare, the country is rich in resources. It should be able to uh, move forward. 
Right. But corruption is there and, you know, a lot of other things that stand in the way. Right. So uh, what gives me hope? Yeah. What we're doing with solidarity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think. In fact, you know, one of the things that's happened with solidarity is we've trained over 700 teachers and nearly 300 registered nurses and uh, and midwives in a country that doesn't have teachers, right? doesn't have schools. Right. 70% of children are not in school. Mm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think the church and religious congregations from around the world are bring hope mm-hmm. to people. Yeah. Because even if these educated people uh, never become a teacher or never become a nurse, they're going to be leaders precisely because they're educated. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Of course. I think, yeah, just one kind of general impact, as you've just said, is some attention has been brought to South Sudan through this pastoral visit. Certainly, there's been ongoing attention in South Sudan, thanks to Solidarity with South Sudan and Friends in Solidarity. Um, There's always definitely more. (laughs) As you said, you know, this doesn't mean the violence stopped because the Pope and these other leaders came, it can, has, has continued, and there's still, you know, a lot of uncertainty. Um, but there's hope, and that this has kind of given a little boost, perhaps. Um, and I hope um, these leaders that, that the religious are helping to train, um, that there is uh, energy there. You mentioned that the majority of the population is young as well. I think that contributes a lot to hope and um, new energy and uh, and the great faith of the people. So with our last yeah. like minute or so, what do you want the, our listeners to know about South Sudan? What would you say that, that since the, it isn't well known, what is it that we need to know about South Sudan? Well, I think we need to know that um, these are our brothers and sisters uh, that are struggling uh, just to uh, become a nation. Uh, they're struggling to to appreciate each other. Um, and uh, I think I think the future is in their hands, the young people. And uh, the church has a big role to play in we as people who are in a different continent uh, need to support that effort to try and uh, um, build as much capacity as we can so that uh, South Sudanese, these young South Sudanese can assume responsibility for their own nation and can grow it yeah. into a, a nation. And I think the, um, the, attention that's brought to this situation by the Pope and the Archbishop and and the moderator of the Church of Scotland is not going to go away. I think they're going to continue to speak and to urge um, the leaders to um, assume their right responsibility yeah. Yeah. in service to the people. So I think there's great potential. People are resilient, they're faithful, and, and I think they have a renewed sense of hope. And civil society is beginning to stand up. The women are beginning to stand up. And the women, mm-hmm. I think, have been, their plight has been raised Essential. by this visit. And yeah. they will continue to speak out and to stand proud in who they are. Yeah, and stand so There's a lot to, and, and I'm happy that uh, religious in this country have chosen to support this effort. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Of, I'll draw attention one more time to the website, solidarityfriends.org. That's this U.S.-based partner organization with Solidarity with South Sudan. So, again, listeners, uh, take a look at this website. Go to their Facebook page. Learn a little bit more about what Sister Joan has shared with us today. So thank you so much for joining us, Sister Joan. Um, You are a source of experience and wisdom about mission and the people of South Sudan. It's clear you have a love for God's people and a deep desire for peace and reconciliation. So thank Thank you. Thank you, Megan. 
for um, having us uh, on the show and uh, the opportunity to share about South Sudan, its people, and this peace pilgrimage. Yeah, this very special time, too, of having had this recent visit. So thanks very much for joining us. And I address our listeners now. Thank you for listening. And remember, always be on mission. Mm -hmm.